get off the stage. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome. Uh, are you having a good day? Yeah. Amen. Listen, I, I want to give a shout out to, first of all, the leadership team. Thank you so much. The work that they do and the way that they help lead us through, especially these bigger decisions, is just incredible. Just the collected wisdom of all of them in the room is such a blessing. So thank you for that. And number two, um, I don't know if you saw the decorations when you came in. Um, all the slides. Here's the cool thing about that. Um, all those slides we actually took from my father's collections of slides over 60 years of traveling all throughout the world. And so when we're talking about adventure, these pictures that you see, actually, you, in fact, I'm right there by Paris, by, in Paris by the Eiffel Tower, and I may be somewhere up there on the Acropolis, I'm not sure. But all of these pictures were taken over his kind of adventurous, pretty exciting life. And we're in this new series called Adventure. And um, if you haven't been reading the series guide yet, I highly recommend that you lean into that this, for these four weeks because Pastor Patty McCoy actually wrote these series guides and it's, I think they're really incredible. I've been following along every single week, every single day, whether it's um, downloading the PDF, whether it's the push notifications that I get, or whether it's on the Apple app or Spotify or whatever platform you're on, the app that brings it to you every single week or every single day. Um, I think it's just been pretty incredible. And and so thank you for that. And it, what's cool is that there's all these, you know, there's all these words that, that Patty uses, but there's all these words that we use. And I wonder when you think about Christmas, what words do you relate to the idea of Christmas. And so I did, a, I did some deep dive research on this, much like many of you do. I went to Google and asked what words relate to Christmas. And I went through um, like two whole pages of a Google search. So I feel like I'm relatively, um, you know, I understand things pretty well now. And actually I got to a website called The Top Tens. It's just a website full of top tens. And so here are the top 10 words from the website, The Top Tens. So this is a highly scientific study of the words that relate to Christmas. But here they are. And I think they actually they make some sense. The first one is Christ, right? That, that, it's actually part of the word. It makes total sense that that is part of the word that in this top 10 list. The second word is family, right? This is a big one, coming together, connecting, reuniting, uniting as a family. I can't wait until um, my son, Jacob, who's up in Walla Walla, he's gonna come down. He'll be here by, I think, the 19th, and then our whole family will be back together, which is really exciting. So family is a big word when it comes around to Christmas. How about this one, happiness? Happiness, third, um, for most of us, right? Time off of work, time off of school, connecting with others. Um, certainly we understand that for others, this is a more difficult season of the year, but happiness is number three on this top 10 list. The number four is presence, right? And we all like Christmas because we all like presents. And it's okay to like presents. It's okay to like to give them, but it's definitely okay to like to get them. So don't feel bad about that. I mean, we all, you know, it's like that, it's like that thing when people go, oh, I don't watch TV. They're like, oh, I don't like to get presents. I like to give presents. Yes, and. Maybe, maybe that's true. Um, here's one, snow. Right now, clearly, this list was not done simply in Southern California or Australia, to be clear. But uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. These kinds of ideas, um, snow is something that we relate. That's a word that we relate to Christmas. How about this? Christmas trees. Um, we certainly 
Think about that. And thanks for bringing them in, by the way. Those of you who have brought them in to create a Christmas winter wonderland that is going to happen on the 16th for our Christmas party. We want you all to be there for that. So Christmas trees has a lot to do with Christmas, at least the way we think about Christmas and the words that we put together with the idea of Christmas. Here's one, maybe not so great, money. All right, Christmas is expensive, and it seems like it's getting more expensive every year, especially when we have to spend six weeks in the Christmas season, not just a few weeks in the Christmas season. Um, This causes stress. Many have different ways of dealing with this, but money is a word that we relate to Christmas. Um, How about this? Friends, right? Further down the list than you would think, interestingly, but yes, friends as well. We, We believe that friends are part of our Christmas Uh, um, season and our Christmas understanding. Here's number nine, sad memories. And I think that's too bad, but season, the season is a mixed bag for many people from childhood and to adulthood. So, um, but the good news is the last one on the top 10 list from the website, the top tens is happy memories. So at least we get to end on a good note. But one word that we don't have on any list but we probably should, is risk. Now, that's not a word that we necessarily relate to Christmas. However, it is a word that we relate to this idea of adventure, right? And um, so I remember the first time I was going overseas with my family. My father had been doing archaeology in Israel for 12 weeks. So he'd been gone for three months. And we were going to go meet him in England. And we were really excited about it. I was seven years old. I had been on a couple planes, but just like really quick flights. I'd never been on a transatlantic flight before. And I was very excited. So we get on the plane and it was a, it was a, I remember it was a Freddie Laker, um, they call it an Airbus. And it was a charter flight, so they would stick a 200 extra seats on these flights. So it was not a lot of space. It was a very cheap flight. We got in. I was seven years old. My mom gives me some Dramamine because she worries I'm going to get sick. I take the Dramamine. We take off. And right as we get over Catalina, the pilot comes on and he says, ladies and gentlemen, um, don't want to worry you, but we are going to be circling around Catalina, letting out all our fuel because we are turning back and landing in Los Angeles. Now, we didn't really understand. So as the passengers were talking, we realized, okay, something must have gone wrong that they have to empty out all the fuel. They can't land a plane that's going to transatlantic with all that fuel. So for, two, for like an hour and a half, we just circled around Catalina, letting out airplane fuel into the air, which is not great probably for the environment, I don't think. But what had happened is we had had a bomb scare. When we landed, they told us that someone had said that there was a bomb on the plane and they now had to go check it all out. So inherent to this idea of travel was this idea of risk. And now it became real. The problem was I had taken Dramamine and I'm seven years old. So I'm all kinds of zombie just trying to figure out what's going on. I remember waking up in this little snack bar they had for us where they jammed like 400 people from this plane into this little snack bar. And we sat there for seven hours. And this is, you understand this is way before the time of um, cell phones, right? This is before the time of pagers. This is before like TV had just been invented. (laughs) Not that old, but um, this is in the 70s, right? It's 1978. So my dad is in London thinking the plane is going to land, not knowing what's happening. We have no way of communicating. And we were sequestered from the rest of the airport because there had been a bomb scare. 
So seven hours, they go through the whole plane. Then they come back and they say, listen, here's the deal. We can't find a bomb on the plane. We think it's probably okay. We wish they would have used language that was a little more, you know, committed to everything's going to be okay, but we think everything's going to be okay. We're going to load you back on the plane. The only problem is when there's a bomb scare, we can't put the same crew on the plane. So that crew has gone home. You're going to get a crew that just landed from London and is now ready to go back. They were not ready to go back. They were not happy that they were now having to work 24 hours straight pretty much. So we get back on the plane, they take off, and we finally make it to London. And that was the first time I took a transatlantic flight. And that idea of risk became very real. When we think of Christmas, the word risk is not necessarily put into it. When we think of adventure, certainly the word risk makes sense. So when we put the word adventure onto the Christmas story, we have to understand there's some inherent risks that have to happen, right? And the reason why we're talking about this is direct, it comes directly from Scripture. So, and I'm going to jump around Scripture a little bit today. I hope that's okay. But in Luke 2.19, it says, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. So Mary reflects on her time that she is having the child, that she has been talked to by the angel, that she and Joseph are having this communication. It says, other translations say, she treasured and pondered this idea. Now Christmas comes every year, and if you've been a Christian, you know that we celebrate it every single year. And it's easy for it to become just kind of rote. But Mary thought back about the things that had happened, and she treasured and pondered them. And so that's what we're doing today. Just like Mary, we're treasuring this story, we're pondering this story, and hopefully having an opportunity to look at it maybe just a little different. But maybe we need to ask kind of the foundational question, if we're putting risk connected to the idea of Christmas, what is risky about Christmas? And I suppose we could go through and find a lot of things that are risky. In fact, maybe it's better to ask the question of what's not risky about Christmas? Because if you think about it, we're talking about a pretty significant bit of travel in the middle of the ancient Middle East around this time. So the first thing that is risky about this story and the ancient story of Christmas is simply this, childbirth. It is estimated that the infant mortality rate of that time in that region was about 50%. So 50% chance that this child wouldn't make it to term or wouldn't survive once they had been born. That in itself is an inherent risk when we think about this Christmas story, right? Secondly, travel. This is a big one because we live in a very different world. Last Sunday after Thanksgiving, 2.9 million passengers were screened by TSA. It was the biggest travel day ever in our airports in the United States. Did you know that? Massive. They expected 14 million people to have been traveling around. In the ancient Middle East, you rarely traveled anywhere unless it was pilgrimage, war displaced you, or you had some sort of commerce situation that you needed to, to deal with, a financial situation. But even then, chances are you weren't going 20, 30, 40 miles away from where you grew up, from where you lived. They lived these very small, much more insular lives. We step on airplanes all the time, and it's no big deal. For them, it was significantly different because 
their roads weren't maintained in the way that we keep them, keep them maintained now. There wasn't, um, there wasn't significant safety factors involved. There were bandits. And I mean, we know these from the stories that Jesus told. There were bandits that um, would, would jump into people, robbers. There's sickness. There's hunger. By the way, you couldn't, when you were traveling, you couldn't just stop at a McDonald's and get some chicken McNuggets to get you the rest of the way. Or you had to bring every single thing you were going to eat. There were inns, but those were a little bit hit and missed. So travel would have been an inherent risk. And by the way, um, during the story of travel, you know that Mary was uh, nine months pregnant, right? That's an inherent risk right there. How about politics? There was Roman rule, which actually made the travel a little bit better. As they say, all roads lead to Rome. Rome would build roads that were big enough for their um, legions to get through. However, they did not maintain those roads. So the roads weren't great, and it was still pretty difficult. Of course, it's the census that made them leave to Bethlehem, which we'll talk about later. There was a social risk going on in this story that's pretty inherent as well, right? And that social risk, and we'll talk about this more as we get through this series, but the social risk that Mary was taking, the social risk that, that um, Joseph was taking to be out of wedlock, pregnant, they're both taking a chance. They're both taking an inherent risk to carry this child to term. But perhaps the biggest risk of all that Mary and Joseph were taking was the risk of faith. In the end, perhaps this is the biggest risk that we all take that we would believe in things that are difficult to believe in, to hang our hopes upon something that is so seemingly unreal. Mary and Joseph had to risk to believe in what the angels said. And the risk that they took would have been overwhelming. To have this information and then to go to Bethlehem for the census. Reading from Luke 2 verse 1 at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. This is just context we're giving you. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. Just think about this today in modern society. If they were going to do a census here in North America and they said, hey, you got to go to the place where you were born everyone would have to travel to a lot of different places, much less back then. But obviously, Joseph, being from the line of David, let me just go to the next text. It actually explains it to you. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. It's a long trip by foot and by donkey. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. You know that they tell you that in the last few weeks of your pregnancy, you shouldn't get on a plane, right? Well, my bet is there's probably somewhere on a donkey a little label that says, if you are in your last few weeks of pregnancy, don't get on me, <laughs> right? That's not going to be a comfortable ride. And if, listen, if you're not sure what it's like to ride a donkey, just go up to Ritchie Canyon over here. There's tons of donkeys. See if you can grab one, jump on it, see how that goes. <laughs> Don't call me if you end up in the ER, all right? <laughs> like it's a, it's, it's not some, it's not that easy. Going anywhere with someone who is really pregnant is not that easy. And so they took this risk to go to Bethlehem. But they weren't the only ones who took risk in the story to get to Bethlehem. The Magi took risk to follow the star. 
Now, I don't know if, we, if, if you know too much about the Magi. Um, it's an interesting group of people. First of all, we have the representations that often make us feel like there's three magi that showed up. Chances are a group traveling that far wouldn't have been just three people. I think we get the idea that there's three because the gifts that they gave were three, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that doesn't mean that there were three wise men, if you will, or three magi. They probably traveled with a pretty significant group of people. By the way, they were coming from Babylon or Persia, Iran, Iraq, that area. So they had a long ways to travel. So they would have traveled being somewhat connected to the royal court in that area. They would have traveled with a pretty significant entourage, right? And so they had to make that trip. And by the way, they had to make that trip prior to Jesus being born. Also, don't think that when they showed up, it was the same night that Jesus was born. That's, you know, if that's what you got in your head, that's just from modern interpretation and representation of what's going on. They probably would have been in Bethlehem for months, if not years at that point, because we know they stayed there a couple of years. Um, but, but the reason why these magi knew anything about it is because if you remember what, six, 700 years earlier, we have the Babylonian captivity. And so when the Israelites left Babylon, they would have left a lot of their religious writings in the libraries in Babylon. And so these wise men studied ancient religious texts from other traditions in other nations. And so as they were reading these texts, they see a new star in the sky and they have to take a risk knowing what they know and say, hey, we need to go and see what's happening. Is this the answer to some sort of prophecy? Reading from Matthew 2, verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, why did they go to Jerusalem? Listen, if it's just three guys, they're going to just follow the star. But they go to Jerusalem because they want to make sure that their entourage, first of all, is not attacked. Second of all, that there's some political conversation about what's happening. And this is the way they start the conversation. To the king, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw the star as it rose and we have come to worship him. That's never a good way to start a conversation with a king. Hey, we understand another king has been born. All right? That's news to Herod. This is risk, friends. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It, was a, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Now, there's a lot of different scholarship around this in particular. Because was the, star, was the star going with the Magi the whole time? Was the star over Bethlehem? Did they go and go through Jerusalem and realize, hey, we're not actually there yet. We need to continue on to see where the star was. We don't necessarily know that. The way it's interpreted in the gospel story in Matthew is that the star went from Jerusalem with them. But I don't know if you've all been driving and looked at the moon it feels like it's following you a little bit. So who knows exactly what that was working. We believe in miracles and we believe in the supernatural that God makes happen, so it could have happened. However, it could have been simply over Bethlehem. But when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now it says this, they entered the house. It doesn't say they entered into an inn. It doesn't say they entered into a stable. And as you know, the way that the ancient Middle Eastern houses, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, the way that Middle Eastern houses were built, they all had stables in them on the first floor. The family lived 
the majority of their lives up on the second floor. But in the first floor, you walk into a courtyard that is part of the house and you have your livestock right there. You have your kitchen probably right in that area as well. So you're all kind of living around. So when it says there was no room, they put them in a stable. What they said is we don't have any um, guest rooms for you, but you can stay here along with the animals in our home. But at this point, it seems that Mary and Joseph had a home in Bethlehem. So it says they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, I think that's why we think maybe there were just three wise men, because they had three gifts. But these gifts were pretty significant, if you want to know the truth. But I've always wondered, in this particular story, why did the Magi connect the dots first? Why is it the Magi that figured out what was going on before anybody else did? This is what I think. They studied the scriptures with a little bit of perspective. They studied the scriptures not saying, oh, this is the story of my, my community. This is the story of my family. This is the story of my nation. They were able to kind of look at it academically with a little bit of separation and say, what's really going on here? Sometimes when we look at these stories in Scripture, we are so wrapped up in the story as it's our story, which is a beautiful thing, don't get me wrong, but sometimes we don't see some of the nuances in it. The Magi looked at this almost academically, and they went, wait a second, some of this stuff seems to be happening a little bit. Maybe we should pay attention. Maybe we should think about the way we're looking at this and see if we should actually take the risk that's involved in going to investigate. Because they were a bit separated, they could see. Sometimes we don't have really good perspective on what's going on in our lives because we're too close to it. Sometimes the risk that we take at Christmas is not being able to step back and look at the people that we love objectively. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when you get together with a group of people that you've known forever, you fall into patterns that aren't necessarily the healthiest. You fall into patterns of relationship that aren't necessarily beneficial to one another. So maybe a question today to maybe alleviate some of the risk of you coming together with the people that you love and also struggle with because that's family. What do you need perspective on this Christmas season? What do you need to step back and say, what am I grateful for? What am I, what am I hopeful for? What can I look at differently to see what's really going on? And perhaps we need some perspective on the narrative of Christmas so we can not just see, oh, isn't it wonderful that Jesus came down to earth? Yeah, of course. But what's the inherent risk involved in the Christmas story? Because we've talked a little bit about Mary and Joseph traveling and we've talked a little bit about... um, about the Magi. We could talk a little bit about Bethlehem. By the way, always being a hotbed of political unrest. Almost more than Jerusalem, not necessarily, but almost as much. And that's true actually in Bethlehem today with what's going on in the Middle East. And this has been the case. Bethlehem has always been a hotbed of religious risk and political risk. I can remember the only time I was ever fearful for my life when I traveled into the Middle East was when I was in Bethlehem, right before a riot started. 
We didn't know what was going on. We're just tourists. We realized that as people started to throw rocks, maybe this wasn't the best place to be looking at religious sites. But there's another question we need to ask, which is this. What was actually the biggest risk of the whole Christmas story? And I've thought a lot about this and I've tried to get some perspective on it because again, I've been preaching Christmas series for 26, 27 years now. It's hard to look at this story under a new light and with new angle. And when Patty said, why don't we talk about the risk inherent in Christmas? I was like, what are you, what risk? What are you talking about? And he started to explain what he was thinking about and where God was leading him. And I was like, okay, this is good. And so I looked at the whole story again and again as we do. And I wanted to ask, what's the biggest risk of the whole Christmas story. And it turns out that the biggest risk of the whole Christmas story was not traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It wasn't trusting in an angel when it said this will be God's own son. It wasn't fighting our way through the political drama of the area or King Herod and being upset. The biggest risk was the risk that God took on you by coming down to earth. You are God's greatest risk. But more than that, you are God's greatest reward. The reward that ends with us being in heaven with Jesus. The risk that God take, took and takes is so overwhelmingly beyond any risk that any human took in this narrative or in the narrative of our lives as well. The adventure that God took coming from heaven to earth to live as one of us. Now there's a particular word that we use and that word is he came, he became incarnate. He enfleshed himself in humanity. He brought whoever and whatever God is down and became a human being. That's a risk, a 50% mortality rate, wars and rumors of wars, an occupied territory to a particular religion, the particularity that God chose to take on by becoming human in a particular time, in a particular place, to a particular religion, a particular gender, a particular family. The risk that Jesus took so overwhelmingly eclipses any risk that you take to believe in it, that it's overwhelming. In the end, the adventure is a lot less about Mary and Joseph and a lot more about the adventure that God decided to take for us. And so as you think about the risk that you're taking this season, the risk that you take to believe in Jesus, the risk that you take to believe in, in hope and joy and peace, the risk that you take to live differently, not just approaching this season with a consumer's attitude, but, cons but approaching this season with the attitude that you are going to spread the most love that is even possible to spread. Think about the risk that God took and recognize the risk that you take is small because all through it, God still believes 
in you. Let's bow our heads today. Lord of grace, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming down to earth. Thank you for being a God who's willing to risk everything for us and go on this great adventure. Lord, the journey we take metaphorically from Nazareth to Bethlehem is just a a few short steps of faith. The journey you took from heaven to earth to become one of us was light years in the making. And the risk was so overwhelming. So Lord, thank you. May we approach this season ready to once again take a risk on you as you seem ready once again to take a risk on us. Pray this in your name, the name of the holy and incarnate Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.